Welcome to the Every Breath Counts podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sheckle. Theodore Roosevelt said, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Today, I'm not just going to be your host, but I'm also going to be the guest. If you've listened to the podcast, you know it's all about optimizing your mind, your body, and your career so that you can optimize your life. Well, just like the quote I just read, I'm in the arena just like you. And as a business leadership consultant, an executive sales manager, I get asked all the time, common questions about how to become a better salesperson, become a better manager, to optimize your career. And I've picked out five questions that I've received from listeners that I'm going to answer in today's episode. The first question is, how can I be successful in sales without feeling like a used car salesman? This is a great question, and this is one that I get from a lot of people just starting their career in sales, but it's also one that I get from sales managers that are trying to teach the right way for people to sell. So where I think this question is going is, how do I not fall into the stereotype of a used car salesman? So what is that stereotype? The stereotype of a used car salesman is someone that's pushy sleazy, dishonest. It's They'll do anything or say anything to close a sale. And you're right. This is not something that you want to fall into the stereotype. So what we need to do is we need to reframe what your idea is of sales. The very first thing I do when I'm working with a new sales rep is I identify and articulate the mission of the company. And this does a number of things, but the main thing this does is it moves the sales rep from being product focused to being mission and service focused. I attribute the majority of my success in growing a $300,000 sales territory to over $10 million with this one strategy. Simon Sinek said, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So when I approached the sales, when I approached sales with my company, I always thought about the mission first. The mission of my company was helping surgeons treat their patients better. And I had some of the best products on the market. We were the market leader in a lot of different areas. But I never sold the product first. I always looked as the product as a solution and a means to further the mission of the company. So you don't have to tell anyone the mission, but you do have to keep it at the focus of what you're thinking about and what you're doing. So if I'm trying to help surgeons treat their patients better, I'm not trying to push a particular product. I'm not trying to sell one different item, even if it's the only item you have. But the core of the mission is the North Star in terms of directing you on how to sell your product. If I'm helping surgeons treat their patients better, I'm identifying how surgeons 
aren't currently treating, treating their patients perfectly. And once I've established opportunity for growth, then I can have a conversation and not tell my customer what they need, but understand the problem they're currently having and offer a potential solution. Here's the coolest part about being mission and service focused is you really don't have to do much selling. You don't have to have all these strategies about closing sales and the assumptive sale and the summary sale and everything that people write about in all these sales guru books. Because if you're truly focused on providing a solution to your customer's problem, then they're going to be begging you for what you're offering. And they're not only going to be begging you for what they're offering, they're actually going to be grateful for the service you're providing, for the value you're bringing to their life, and they're going to be ready to close their own sale. They're not only going to be ready to close their own sale, they're going to see you as being valuable and an asset, and they're probably going to refer more business to you. So in a way, If you're approaching sales the wrong way, then yeah, you're going to come off as someone that is pushy and sleazy and dishonest, but it has nothing to do with who you are, the position you're in, or what you're selling. It just has to do with the way that you're perceiving yourself as a sales rep. Question number two, how do I build rapport with a potential customer that I have nothing in common with? This can be really tricky and I know exactly exactly how you feel. When I first started working um, in the sales industry, I was a former teacher. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was a Yankee transplant from New York. So here I am, I'm trying to network with surgeons who have been in school for 15, 20 years who have a lot more experience within the medical industry than me. But not only that, a lot of them were from a different geography than I grew up in, had different interests, had a different culture, had different financial situation. And it was up to me to build a relationship and also build trust that they should rely on me to provide instruction and value in the operating room and as a part of the surgical team. But here's the crazy thing. What I just described to you, it's only half true. One of the things that you need to think about when building rapport in a relationship is to eliminate your ideas and perceptions of other people. See, if I went into building relationship with these surgeons thinking that they're smarter than me, they have different experiences, they don't value me, then yeah, it's going to be really difficult to build that relationship. One of the keys is to humanize the person you're building the relationship with. We're all very much the same, even if we grow up in different situations, in different areas, under different circumstances. One of the strategies that I use in building relationships with people is I talk about being a social chameleon. And I know what you're thinking because you're saying, a social chameleon, Ryan, you're telling me to try to be something I'm not, pretend to be something, blend in with my surrounding. And to an extent, you're right. But I don't want you to pretend to be something you're not. Because the thing about a chameleon is that when they're blending in with their surroundings, they're not changing who they are. A chameleon is still a chameleon, no matter what color it is, no matter what texture its scales are. It's just fitting in in the environment that it's currently in. 
So how does a chameleon do that? See, it's outward facing, not inward facing. It's constantly looking at the environment. It's looking at what it's trying to fit in with. You shouldn't change who you are, but you should have genuine interest and curiosity in other people and in people that you're trying to build relationships with. So one of the strategies I've used for this is all I do is I just take out my iPhone and I open up the notes app. And every time I meet someone, I put their name into the notes app and I just start to write down things about them. And I ask genuine questions that I'm curious about. Uh, Are you married? Do you have kids? What's your favorite drink? What football team do you like? What do you like doing on the weekends? Uh, What is the goal for your practice? What do you hope to be someday? And then as I continue to build this relationship and I continue to see this person over time, I'll keep going back to that notes app and I'll remember the things that are interesting to these people that they enjoy and I'll be able to have conversations about it. And it's not faking that I'm interested. I'm truly interested in them and who they are. It's just that I know that these are things that are important to them and I'd rather be outward facing than forcing who I am onto them. Here's the other thing about building a relationship. It it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, we have all these different things in common. Let's go back to why you're building the relationship in the first place. So the person that asks this question isn't looking to make friends. They're looking to optimize the success of their career. They're looking to be a better salesperson. Well, you're not building a relationship for that friendship. You're building that relationship to be a service to that customer or client. So even more importantly sometimes than finding commonalities with people is just understanding your customer's personality or behavior style as well as knowing your own personality and behavior style. This is why there's so many different behavior tests, personality tests that you could find that companies utilize. There's millions and millions of dollars invested in this technology and the psychological resource. And for good reason, because ultimately you need to know the best means to communicate with your customers. So for me, I know that I'm a talker. I'm an extrovert. I have, I don't even know the color that goes with that personality, but ultimately I'm someone that likes to talk through issues, that likes to offer solutions in terms of a back and forth conversation. Um, I appease to people's feelings. So if I'm working with a customer who is analytical, then I have to understand that my communication type might not fit the way they learn or they make decisions best. They might be looking for facts that they can take home, digest, analyze, and after considering all the information, come to a decision about. But if I don't recognize that, and I continue to talk over and over and over, I'm not going to give them the opportunity to analyze the information, and ultimately, it's going to lead to the customer being annoyed. So how do we build rapport with a customer? Look, you have to have a genuine interest in other people. You have to be interested in who they are. You have to be outward facing and not inward facing. And then you also have to be able to understand who you are, your own behavior, your own personality, your own communication style. And you have to do the work to understand uh, your customer's personality and behavior style so that you can make the necessary adjustments, and communicate in the way that they need to be communicated with.
Next question. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made in your career? I have made my fair share of mistakes, but there's one that sticks out in my mind. So I had I was working on a large capital deal and I went through a month-long trial with a couple of different competitors and had to get buy-in from all the different buying players in the game. And I did my due diligence. I spoke with every individual at the facility. I got testimonials. I got feedback. I answered questions. I sought out reservations and responded to them and and figured out what people were concerned about and offered solutions to those concerns. And at the end of this trial, I received an email saying, you know, Ryan, thank you so much for the trial. Everybody's really happy with your equipment. We'd love to have you come into our corporate office to work on the details of the agreement. So I walked into the business, super confident. I had my proposal in hand, my briefcase. I was ready to have a discussion and iron out all the details of this deal. And as I'm sitting in the waiting room, uh, ready to speak with the CFO about all the details of the agreement, I look up and out of the conference room walks the CFO, a number of other key decision makers, and four of my competitors for another company. At this point, I realized I made a huge mistake. I wasn't being asked to walk in and iron out the details of a deal. I was asked to come in and offer my final proposal to the real decision makers of the deal. Needless to say, when I walked into the conference room and I sat down with the purchasing team, I was very ill-prepared. I went over my proposal I answered all the different questions that they asked. But ultimately, when the decision came down, I was notified that due to my lack of preparation and understanding, the company decided to go with one of my competitors. And this was definitely a hard lesson in humility. And I had to come back with my tail between my legs. And ultimately, it cost me money and commission. But more importantly, it cost me my reputation. And I really let down the players that I had spoken to had my back. So what I learned from the situation, I think the biggest things that I learned from the situation were just never take anything for granted until it's done, Um, but also over-prepare and over-communicate. I lost that deal because of an assumption that I made and overconfidence that I had. Had I reached back out and over-communicated about the situation, verified who was going to be at the meeting, what was expected of me, uh, what I could have done to have a valuable presentation, then I would have been far more prepared and I would have been able to put together a much better presentation and I would have been able to do a better service to the company by providing a solution to their need for capital equipment. Ooh, here's another good question. What is the best strategy or tactic to close a sale? I love this so much. And I am admittedly one of the biggest soft salesmen uh, that I've ever met, which just means I hate asking for the sale. Now, let me couch that though, because it doesn't mean that I don't like selling and it doesn't mean that um, I'm letting someone else come in and take a sale from me. What I mean by that is just that I don't like to be that stereotypical, pushy, 
sleazy, dishonest salesperson that we talked about earlier. So what is the best strategy to close a sale? A sale will close itself when the solution you provide outweighs the pain from the customer's problem. Let me say that again. A sale will close itself when the solution you provide outweighs the pain from the customer's problem. When it comes to closing a sale, you have to be constantly probing your customer to learn more about their problem and then responding appropriately to the problem to offer your solution. So I like to think of it in terms of almost like a dance. But in this negotiation, 80% of what you're doing is listening and only 20% is talking. So it's a little counterintuitive because a lot of people assume that closing a sale is exactly what you say and how you say it, but it's not true. See, closing a sale is more listening to your customer and then offering a single solution with the products or services that you provide. And I like to use the idea of asking why like a two-year-old. It's funny because when you talk to a two-year-old and you give them an answer to anything, uh, their question is always, why? And then you go down one more level and they say, why? And another level and they say, why? And it's like there's this never-ending why train that you can never get to the bottom of. But what that allows you to do is it allows you to get deeper and deeper in your understanding of your customer's problem. And eventually you go to the core of the problem. And this is going to take a lot of questions. So you got to be really good at asking open-ended questions. Never ask questions that end in yes or no, because yes and no are conversation enders. But by asking open-ended questions, you'll have a better understanding of what your customer thinks, how they approach their business, and how your solution um, can fix some of their needs. And then once you've gotten to the core of the problem and you have a solution, then what I like to do is I like to summarize the conversation, articulate the problem that the customer has, confirm with them, ask questions that that's actually correct, that it is a problem. And then I articulate how what you are selling, whether it be a product or a service, is the solution to that problem. And again, ask for verification and validation that what you're saying is correct. And then I just like to work for an incremental close, which is what's the next step we can do here. So whether that's, do I need to meet with a decision maker? Um, Do I need to negotiate uh, the finances with somebody else? Or are we willing to move to the next step, which is either a purchase or a trial? And So long as you are providing a solution to a problem, then the close is the easiest part because you've already identified that the customer that you're speaking to um, needs something and you have the solution for their needs. And now it's just figuring out the details of the close. Okay. Oh, here's a great question actually about uh, management and, and sales management. So the question is, So many of my new employees feel entitled to a raise without accomplishing anything. How can I tell them they haven't earned it in a way that won't make them quit? 
This is a great question, and this can be taken in so many ways. And the first thing you really need to think about with this is if your employees are coming to you asking for a raise without accomplishing anything, a couple things could be happening. But the main thing that's happening is that you weren't very forthcoming or clear when you initially onboarded those employees about the expectations in terms of salary, responsibility, or even what they were hoping to accomplish. So the first step in eliminating this is you need to evaluate your onboarding process and look at the way you're presenting the position um, in the initial interviews. A lot of times what people will do when they're looking to hire new employees is they're trying to lure them in with the interview and they're promising them things that maybe they aren't really willing to promise. And I understand that we're in a situation now where there might not be a ton of really great um, employees available to hire. So everybody is out there trying to entice employees to come work for them. So one of the keys to this is to actually talk about realistic expectations in terms of salary, compensation, benefits, and not try to sell them necessarily on coming to your company so much as helping them understand how to be successful within your company and then what success will bring to them once it's accomplished. And the biggest way to do that is just laying out specific actionable goals, as well as what it means when those goals are reached in terms of compensation. So if you have an employee that you're starting on a salary for six months, and then within six months to a year, you're considering moving them to some sort of commission or bonus program, um, then you can't be vague about that. You can't tell them that you know, a typical successful sales rep within their first year will be making X amount of money. What you need to say is this is the expectation for six months. Um, we will not be negotiating salary until uh, this date. And then you need to put that in their contract. And you need to say, once this date comes, we are going to have an evaluation. And then we're going to set goals forward that if these specific actionable goals are achieved, then these results will happen in terms of your compensation. And that way, everyone's on the same page. And now when your employee comes in, they're going to fully understand and they're going to have the expectations as to how much they're going to make, what it is going to take to be successful, and how that will impact their financial situation. Furthermore, you could flip this around. If you are an employee that's actually starting a new position, you need to understand this as well because you don't want to accept a position where you're not clear where the salary expectations are, what the bonus structure is, what the benefits are. So when you're interviewing and then also once you accept a position and you're looking at your contract, you need to sit down and ask your boss, exactly what it takes to be successful. It's a great interview question. What does it take to be successful in this position? But not just in general. You want to know actionable benchmarks that you can accomplish that are going to be successful. And then once you have an understanding of what those benchmarks are, then you can say, okay, if I achieve the goals that you say make me successful within a six-month period, what would be the commensurate compensation for achieving those goals? Now, you've kind of put that employer on the spot to say, oh, well, 
this is the value I'm bringing to the company. What is the compensation for that value? And you can scale that to however you want to. It's the best way to go in and ask for a raise as well is to say, these are the actions that I've accomplished over the past six months to a year. Uh, if I continue this trend or trajectory, what does that mean for the company? And if I can surpass the expectations that you put forth for me, what would that mean financially for me? So you have to really look at actionable goals and benchmarks and how they relate to the compensation. But it has to be very clear, very concise, um, and, and laid out perfectly in a contract so that everyone's on the same page. And then there's a trust as to where the direction of the employee is going in the company and, um, and what the expectations are. So there you go. Five questions from listeners. As a podcaster, as a business consultant, as someone who built a $10 million sales territory after starting with only $300,000 of annual revenue. And these are some of the, the pillars and truths that I have learned over the course of my career. This is a lot of fun and I'm going to be doing more of these in the future. So if you want to optimize your career and you want to learn more strategies about how to be a better salesperson, about how to be a better manager, or even just have success within your career, subscribe to the podcast, listen to some of the other episodes about how other folks have been successful in their own career. And look, feel free to ask me questions. Like I said, I want to do more of these in the future. So if you have questions for me, there's two ways that you could get a hold of me. One, you can email me, ryan at ryanshuckle.com. I read all my emails. And secondly, hit me up on Instagram. My handle is at everybreathcountspodcast. So feel free to send me a direct message, tag me in your stories, or comment on one of my posts with any question that you have for me. And the very last thing that I'm super excited about is I have put together and I'm currently finishing up an online course that I'll be offering that explains the pillars that I used to grow a $10 million sales company from only a $300,000 annual revenue territory. Subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to my newsletter, and follow me on social media and details about that course will be out shortly. But until then, thank you so much for investing your time in me and this show and yourself. Enjoy the rest of your week. Happy Thanksgiving to those of you in the States and make every breath count. <laughs>